0: Let me let me read a scripture. I'm going to jump right into the scripture today. Two verses for you, okay? Man, it's been a full gathering. We've got a lot of stuff happening. But let's jump to this kind of final important moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 to 12. We, uh, just before the holidays, before Advent, we started to look at this letter called 1 Peter and walk through a chapter and a half of it. And we're jumping back into it today. And here's this, these first two verses. Let's jump right in. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. These two verses are really personal for me. Uh ten years ago our church was actually walking through changes and, and a shift was taking place, wondering if we needed to make a shift in our ministry, a shift in our approach. And first Peter became a letter that really God really used to strengthen me, to refresh me, but also to guide myself, but not just me personally, it really became an important text for Westside as a church as we wrestled with what it meant to be God's church in our community, in our city, in our province. And first Peter gave us that kind of clarity. Uh, it helped us understand who we were in God's plan for restoration in our world and what we're called to be in our community. And it really turned us around, or maybe I should say it turned us outward. It didn't just turn us around, it turned us outward. And it was that series or that book or letter that gave us this phrase that you might hear often, that we feel like we are God's living and local presence. When we say that phrase, God's living and local presence, it comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2 and up to these verses. How we can be a blessing for the community, how we can be God's presence um, in our community in Christ's name. And this just came full circle for me this, this last week. Many of you know we've uh, held a tax clinic or hosted a tax clinic for several years um, in the neighborhood, and um, we've had incredible opportunity to minister to people, serve people, um, sometimes up to 100 people in one, in one uh, event uh, to help people get through their taxes, people who live under the poverty line. And this started maybe eight years ago. Um, it, it, it started with an idea from Oscar Cardoza, who, um, who helped us uh, kind of start that. And then Catherine Stevens took on the coordinating role of that last year, Vivian Dustin took on the coordinating role of that. And uh, this year we're, we're looking and we, we, we stopped our, our lease at our office on sources, which we used also for the tax clinic. And um, we were thinking so many things going on this year. We got to switch locations, move, renovate. Maybe we should press pause on the tax clinic. So Vivian contacts the, the CRA, the, the Canadian Revenue Agency. And uh, they said, you know what, if you're just looking for a location, why don't we help you guys with a location? Uh, we love your clinic, we love what you guys have been doing, can we help provide a location? It'll be maybe a municipal-owned building, which is rare, because when we've tried to get municipal-owned buildings, they've frowned upon us as a religious group. And so here's the CRA saying, we'll advocate for you, we'll, we'll try and get you a building. And then they said, some volunteers have, when they've called to volunteer, they've requested your clinic to serve in. And these are people who aren't necessarily part of a church. And so we're listening to this story, and I thought, this is part of our journey. This is part of what God was starting us towards, even eight or ten years ago, when he was making a shift in us to say, what does it mean to be God's living and local presence in a neighborhood? And that story, um, when I heard it, just, it just brought back this, this, these memories of what, where God was telling us, you got to go this way. Um, this is the right way to go. And it's really this this key verse, uh, verse twelve that, that helped us at that time. But I'm going to move uh, beyond that. And it's live such good lives among the pagans. What a word, eh? Among the pagans, it sounds so negative. Now I got I got I got just so you understand. In the first century, uh, the word pagan basically meant everybody like everybody else, uh, the pagan world was, was a world of pluralism, of pluralistic, different religions, different cults, different beliefs. And uh, and so anybody like a Christian or even a Jew in that time who looked outward just saw the world as pagan in the sense that everybody else had a different uh, or or a variety of different beliefs and systems. And so here's Peter calling this group of Christians to live such good lives among their world. And if you read, as we're reading 1st Peter, verse 11 is a shift in this book. It makes a shift towards something different, towards not just knowing what God has done in us, um, how God has given us a new life and a new hope and, and a new faith and a new identity. But the shift is what does it mean to live this in the real world? What does it mean to live this out day to day in our culture? So there's this expression of who we are in chapter one and part of chapter two. But here in verse 11 and onwards, we're going to read over the next couple of weeks is, how do I now live this, like with this culture around me? With parts of my culture, maybe that resonate with me, but parts of my culture that don't, parts of my culture that are hostile to my identity in Christ, hostile to my faith, hostile to to what I believe and who I believe Jesus is and what he's calling me to do. And here's Peter's call, live among the world. Live in and among the world. Now, we can take that in two extremes, and often the church has. One extreme has been, let's, let's be so relevant, let's be so cool, let's be so popular, let's be so attractive that people positively just want to be at church. So let's be just so amazing and so cool and, and popular and just do things that would attract people to a positive Jesus. Or the other side is often, the other extreme is, um, let's be so quiet and private and to ourselves and pray in our living rooms, and only in church gatherings, and um, kind of stick with our own crowd and let God speak to people. Let God talk to people. Let God do something in people. And P- Peter doesn't care about those categories. Peter doesn't care about those extremes or anything in between. Peter just boldly says, live your life, your new life, this life that is growing into a good life among the world in the world, knowing that sometimes the gospel will be offensive to some people who take offense to it. And sometimes it's just hard to avoid that. We just, sometimes it's hard to avoid when the gospel is offensive to people. The other side is sometimes the gospel in you will be so attractive to people and that's okay. We got to let the gospel be attractive and resonate with people as well. And Peter is not worried about that. He just says, live your life, your new life in this world. In fact, he uses this phrase, live such good lives. Live such good lives. This life that is being changed from the inside out because of your new faith in Jesus and relationship with Jesus and and being part of God's family, this new life is growing. Live this good life in the world. This new life that will shine. You know, the Apostle Paul, I think it's in Corinthians, talks about how we, we will shine like the stars. Jesus tells us let let he calls us to be light in our world and salt in our world, right? This this idea of being salt and light. So there's this evidence from our life in Jesus that has this outward experience, this outward expression, this idea that we're we're uniquely growing and and different and we we can show something different in our world. Paul has these simple marks of what that means. He says when when the fruit of the spirit grows in you, love and patience and gentleness and and um, self-control and kindness start to grow in us. Jesus calls us to this new command to love one another and that love would begin to, to demonstrate and express itself in real ways. And here's Peter now boldly proclaiming it, boldly calling us out, live your life, your new life out in the world. He's not just saying this to people who would be embraced for this new life. He's saying this to people who are being marginalized for this new life. But he's saying live this life. And next week, we're going to get into some specifics in that culture and then for our culture that's going to rub us differently. Peter talks about how do you live your life this way, um, when the government is oppressing you, uh, what about when you're in a difficult work situation? What about if, if, um, if you've become a Christian and your spouse hasn't become a Christian? How, how do you do that? And so Peter starts to unpack that and we'll look at that next week. But, but for what purpose does Peter say, Peter say, live this new life in the world? Obviously, there's this natural outcome, right? Something has happened in these people and Peter's saying, you gotta let it show. But there's some other motives. One of the motives is, is holiness. I mean, Peter earlier says, your life is called to be holy, called to be a model of Jesus. He tells us, be holy because God is holy, or the one who called you, Jesus is holy. Be holy like him. So one of the motives Peter has for calling us in this this church in the first century to live this life is one, one of the motives is holiness. The other motive is a witness, that that our lives would point people to the gospel, in fact, later on, we're going to read this next week, he, he speaks to women who have become Christ followers and their husbands aren't. And they're in a difficult situation. And he says, perhaps, without even saying a word, your life at home can speak the gospel to your spouse. And so this, one of the motives Peter has is that, is that as we live this new life, it's a witness to people around us. It points us to the gospel. Another one that we might not associate with is safety. They were marginalized. They were frowned upon. Sometimes they got in trouble with the authorities. And Peter is saying, listen, if you're going to get in trouble, and he says this later on, at least get in trouble when you're doing good. So kind of stay away from the stuff that really gets you in trouble, that anybody on the street would get in trouble for. Stay away from that stuff. If you're going to get in trouble, stay get in trouble because you're doing something really good. Um, and so he's thinking of their safety in fact, he says, live such good lives that you would silence the authorities, that they'd have nothing to say about you in a negative way, and that you'd have a contrast in your society. And the last motive is that, that people at one point, there, there would be almost this vindication or proof that God is really who he is. Because what does Peter say? He says, live such good lives so when people see your life, they would glorify our God in heaven on the day he visits us. In other words, when Jesus returns one day and people see who he is and see what he's about, they would look back and say, you were right. You you caught this. You were right. You were speaking the truth. And so one of the motives Peter has for this is that as we live this life in our culture, even if people don't get it right away, maybe one, of, maybe one of the motives is that they would come to know Jesus for sure. But one of the other motives is that even they would acknowledge at some point on the day that Christ returns, that they would look back and say, these people were right. God is really real. I, I, sh- I could have caught on to this. So that's one of the motives. And so when people hear and experience your transformed life and my transformed life, they will respond, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in rejection, sometimes in embrace. But Peter's not worried about that. He just says, live your life among the world. Now, be careful, because sometimes we want to live this. We want to do stuff for a preferred outcome, right? Let me serve my neighbor so they will like me, right? Um, yesterday I had to help my neighbor get his car out of the driveway. And uh, I think I did it with pure motives. But sometimes we serve our neighbor because we hope that they will serve us back. Or maybe we serve our neighbor so we hope that they will like say, wow, great people, I want to come to their church. I I mean, I, I don't think you serve your neighbor in that way and I hope that's not why I serve my neighbor. But what I want to say is don't live a transformed life just for a preferred outcome. Don't do it just to get something. Trust God God will be glorified. The gospel will be witnessed. And Peter says, live this life. But you know what else he says, which is so important for us? He's really clear about this. He says, there's going to be opposition for you. You're going to have obstacles living this. You're going to have obstacles living this life out. And he says, you're not just going to have exterior obstacles because they lived in a culture that was, um, they were marginalized. You're going to have interior obstacles. So think about the exterior ones. Peter calls them, and we read it, right? He says, dear friends. And what does he say? He uses the same words he used in chapter one, foreigners, aliens. They, these people he's writing to were marginalized in their culture. They felt like a foreigner. They felt like an exile. And Peter's readers, they lived in a culture that was hostile to them. So Peter's saying, you will have, I understand the obstacles you're facing. I understand there's exterior walls or blocks to you living out your faith. You are like an alien and foreigner and stranger and exile in your own region. And one of the key reasons Peter actually calls them to live out this way is because they live in a region that frowns upon them. Because how else will people around them eventually come to know what God has done in their life and who God is? and the truth of Jesus. So the hostility is both um, their context and their opposition. And maybe sometimes you feel that in certain ways. We prayed for these new believers in Central Asia, and we, we know that in that region, they're going to face hostility. There's going to be exterior obstacles to their faith. But like most exterior opposition, there's not much you can do about it, Right? If if we today lived in a region of the world that marginalized us because of our faith, it would be hard to do much about our exterior challenges. And these Christians, in a a sense, they couldn't really do much. They couldn't just protest. They couldn't just call for their rights. They were a nobody in that culture. So they couldn't change their exterior situation, But even even though it was an obstacle. but, But look what Peter says. He says, you know what? It's not just your exterior obstacles. You have interior obstacles. What does he say at the beginning in verse 11? He says, abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Sinful desires which wage against your soul. These are interior obstacles that we all face doesn't matter what the exterior looks like in your life or my life or in any part of the world these interior obstacles are things that we face and Peter refers to a sinful desire the apostle Paul referred to this you know he said he said once he wrote this he said I I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do in other words I struggle I I want to do this I feel God calling me to do this I feel see the Lord leading me towards this or changing me in this way but then I then I don't do it And then he says, but then there's this other stuff I really don't want to do, and I don't want to get involved in, and I don't want to walk that path, but somehow I find myself doing it. And Paul admits, he says, I I struggle with sinful desires. I struggle with these interior obstacles in my life, and he calls it, even Paul calls it a sinful nature, and Peter calls it sinful desires. Here's the thing for you and me. We are tempted to live out sinful desires that literally eat away at the life that we're called to. We're tempted to live out sinful desires that will eat away bit by bit at the new life God has for you, the new hope God's put in you, the new salvation God has given you, the new faith, all these good things. Our sinful desires and our leaning towards them eats away at us living that out. And Peter recognizes that. He doesn't just tell them, guys, I know you're, you know what, you feel really crummy in this culture. Just do whatever the heck you want. I don't want I don't want to discourage you. Like I know how hard it is. Like make some popcorn, put on some coffee or go out, you know, doesn't matter. Like, fall prey to your greed and pride. At least you'll feel better. You know, like, Paul, Peter doesn't say that, right? He, he understands they have an exterior obstacle to living this life now, but he says, listen, there is this struggle inside of each of us, our sinful desires. And I implore you, I call you to abstain from them because they wage war against your soul. See, we can describe the good life in any way we want, we can describe this, this goodness or this new life in different ways, we might describe it as relationship, like healthy relationships. Well, the sinful desire of envy will eat away at the beauty and health of relationship, right? We might describe the good life of hospitality, being a people that really open ourselves up to other people. But you know what? The sinful desire of hurry and impatience will eat away at our desire to be hospitable, the goodness of generosity something where we want to lean towards and live towards while the sinful desire of greed will eat away at us living generously if you're single and you're pursuing, you're in a season of singleness, even pursuing singleness. You're, you're looking for fulfillness in that. And sometimes parts of our culture will deteriorate that or even selfishness, the sinfulness of selfishness might deteriorate what it means to live a fulfilling single life. If you're married to have a, a, a good and joyful marriage, sometimes as well, the sinful desire of selfishness will deter that. Sometimes things in our relationship, things like lust, will, will eat away at the goodness that God has for us. We want to be reconciled with our friends and family. Conflict eats away at that. We want to be content, but consumerism eats away at that, right? These are these sinful desires. And so for my life and for your life to be this contrast, to be something uniquely different, it must come from a transformed and healthy heart. Peter says, live such good lives. Where does that goodness come from? It doesn't come from trying so hard. It doesn't come from picking up all the self help books, the chapters, and just like eating them up and reading them all up and just being so great at it. No. But let me ask you this question How often are you a decision away from living your convictions? How often are you and me, just think about this, how often are we one decision away from living out our convictions? One decision away from saying yes and responding to what God has for us. One decision away from allowing sinful desires to detour us away from this conviction. Just one decision away at times. And so here's what I want to um, help you help us all understand, and, and it's this: we need to discern. Each of us need to discern. It doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what stage of life you're. Doesn't matter if you're married or single. If you're a teenager in high school. If you're you know 70 years old here we need to discern and here's what we have to discern what wages against our soul we must discern what wages against our soul see it's too easy to say sinful desires you know and maybe you hear some preacher and just say get rid of all sinful desires well what sinful desires what what like all sin I don't know I don't know which ones I deal with I deal with this I deal with that it, it's like too much of a blanket idea, right? And I think we, if we're going to grow in this, we need to discern what wages against our soul to consider specifically what wages against your soul. So I want you to consider the three top things that you often feel tempted with. The three top things that you often feel that wages against your soul, that vies for your attention, that tears you away often from making the decisions to live out your calling and your convictions. And how do those temptations inhibit you from this life that God calls you to? Because we have to get specific. Now, I love to spend, I love to, not to spend money, to save money. I mean, I like spending money too. Who doesn't <laughs> like it? If it makes me feel good. I never leave the mall sad if I leave it with something in hand, right? But, but, I, but, um, but I also like to save money. But here's the thing. We can desire to save money and then we can use things that can help us save more money when they're not really the right things. Here's the most simplest example, and it's really not even like a big deal. Some of you guys are going to think, look at this and say, Dave, seriously? like." So somebody had to do some work for me in my home, and this particular thing, um, I was able to claim it on my taxes. So the guy writes me this bill, and he gave me the receipts and the bill. And he's like, Dave, what do you want me to do? I said, well, just write me the bill, and whatever it costs, I said, I'll pay you. So uh, he says, do you want to keep the receipts? And I'll include the cost of the receipt on the bill but just as labor, so you can claim my bill and your receipts. I'm like, that's, well, that, yeah, I mean, no, wait, what should I do, right? So I thought, like, no, you know what, this came to mind, and I'm telling you, um, this might not have come to mind several years ago, but it came to mind, I said, you know what, I said, I think I can trust God for 50 bucks. That's what I told him. It was like 50, 60 dollars worth of receipts, and I said, uh, honestly, uh, I can trust God for 60 bucks. Don't worry about it. And he, all of a sudden, he's like, I, didn't, I didn't tell him, like, why are you doing this? Or why are you asking me this question or whatever? Or I don't want to cheat. I, I, just, said, I just said that simply, really in a joyful way. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, makes sense. I said, yeah, don't worry. Write me the bill, and you keep the receipts, and we're good. And it was this, this, just this moment, God is bigger than 50 bucks, God is bigger than saving a little bit more on my taxes. God is, is bigger. If I can't trust him for that little moment, how can I, why would I trust him for other things? And you might look at that situation and you know multiply it by 10 and say $500 or $5,000 or some other thing. And maybe it not revolves money. But over time, we have these opportunities to make these decisions when things wage against our soul and in in the most smallest ways, it might seem insignificant, but over time, God says you can grow in this. You can abstain from this. There's you can trust me in this. And once you discern and you abstain, or at least the Lord invite the Lord. And here's this, this is grace here. Invite the Lord to help you abstain. Let's say I was in that moment. I'm like, oh man, I. I would really benefit from an extra 15 bucks on my taxes. But let's say it was multiplied by 10, 150, or multiplied by 100, 1,500 bucks. And I'd be like, Lord, could you help me to be content in this moment with what you've given me? Because maybe I don't even have the strength to, to, to abstain and walk this different way. So discernment means think about all the ways X temptation or Y temptation affects you. And then consider all the ways that that will alter your life, will change your course, will detour you away from what God is doing in your life, and consider that. And consider all the ways it has stopped you in the past from following God's voice. How is that temptation, how is that sinful desire that wages against your soul, that wants to eat away at this good life, how has that ever stopped you from following God's path, from following God's voice? And all the ways it threatened the goodness and the good life that God wants to grow in you. You know what? Some of these things have been part of us for so long, we don't even recognize it anymore. Think about um, asbestos, right? Asbestos is a bad material, but they put it in buildings, what, 60, 70 years ago? Nobody knew it was bad. A church downtown had to, had to do a renovation project, large renovation project, and then they found asbestos. And today they realize it's bad, so it cost them another $150,000 to move asbestos. Right? That's how bad it is. It's dangerous for us. And it seemed normal for years until we recognized it's unhealthy for us. A colleague of mine, his name is Tim Day, he says, he wrote this, just this tweet, like this weekend, and it jumped out at me. He says, as we learned with asbestos, just because something is popular and installed in our lives, it doesn't mean it is healthy for us. <laughs> Just like asbestos, right? Just because something is popular and we have become accustomed to it or it's installed in our lives does not mean it is healthy for us. And so we must discern what wages against our soul. And we need to ask God to help us. He wants to help us. He wants to lead us. He wants to, he wants to guide us in this. And then this, this other idea of this that I think we just get from this text is we need to discern what does that in us, but we also need to develop this interior life. Because we look out here and say, yeah, I want to live this good life. I want to I have this reputation. I want to impact people. I want to do things for God, or however you describe this. But then there's this interior part, and it's like, oh, but this is weak. And you realize, I need to strengthen this. Because what's on the inside will be evident, right, on the outside, and so we need to protect it. Years ago, I was, I, I used to lead worship a lot and sing, and you're probably glad I don't as much anymore, but once in a while I still lead worship here, but I, I was asked to lead like a camp, like a, a youth camp for six, seven days. And I mean, if I led worship twice in a weekend, my voice would, I would, I would sound like a crooner, you know? Like I'd sound like, like, like more of a crooner than Michael Buble, you know? Like it would like really, really like I, my voice would just die. So here, I'm asked to do six days morning and evening leading worship and I'm like how is my my voice I'm going to be like I'm going to be finished after day 2 so I went to this conference and I led worship and what I specifically did in between gatherings I spoke very little <laughs> I just shut up. I didn't say anything. And like seven, eight times a day, I drank water. And three times a day, I drank tea with lemon. And I warmed my throat. And I, what did I do? I protected the inside of my throat for seven days. And I made it to the second last gathering. <laughs> and so I sounded like a real raspy crooner on day seven. But it didn't matter because... I lasted for that long. Why did I last that long? Because I protected the inside of my throat. I protected my voice. And here's so, this is so important. I wrote this out on the screen. We need to protect what God is doing in us. Protect what God is doing in you so you can sustain what he wants to do through you. Protect what God is doing in you so you can sustain what he wants to do through you. Do for your interior what I did for my throat. Learn to protect it. But not just protect it, you must strengthen it. You need to strengthen your insides. So I've had this like, pain like right here. You guys can see it? It's, like, it's been here for like a year and a half. I've asked like, my doctor. I went to like this osteopath. I went to this physio. And nobody knows what's going on in this pain. And it goes down and sometimes it bugs me. And uh, I know you don't care, right? But here, but but so I went. I went to the physio, and the physio gave me these these uh, these exercises. She gave me the weirdest exercise. She says, "Okay, I want you to lay down." So so she says, "Lay down flat." So she's laid down flat like this. So I'm laying down like this, and she says, "I want you to tense up the muscle underneath your stomach muscle." I'm like, "Do I have a muscle underneath my stomach?" I didn't know that. She's like, "You know." St- Press that muscle. I'm like, I don't, know how, I don't even know what muscle it is. How am I supposed to do that? So she said, this was, got very awkward. She goes, pretend you have to pee and then hold it in. I'm like, oh, that muscle. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get it, you know? And, and it, there's muscles under our muscles. And what she said is, She's like, you need to do this, hold it, you know, for 10 minutes and uh, then do it lifting your leg up. And, and I started to, I started to realize what she was doing. She's like, there's muscles under your muscles that you need to strengthen because those muscles underneath your muscles are weak. And if you strengthen those inner muscles, it's going to help everything around it. And that's the same with what we're called to do with our interior life. I wrote this other phrase as well. I want you to read it off the screen. Strengthen your inside life so you can have impact on your outside life. Strengthen your inside life so you can have impact on your outside life. So what are you doing to protect your interior? What are you doing to strengthen your interior? Some of the things we mentioned last week in the scriptures, 15 minutes a day, learning and growing in prayer, being part of this community. But even more than that, reflecting slowly on what God is doing in you, learning to be quiet and silent, learning to pause maybe even daily at the end of your day and saying, what happened today? Was there things that wanted to eat away at this good life? And take time to reflect and say, where have I gone today? What have I done today? What has hindered me today? What has stopped me today? and then ask the lord and you can grow as he continues to continues to feed you in those areas and ask him for help and strength and grace and i can tell you the lord begins to slowly slowly work in us as we continue to partner with him and incorporate some of these disciplines what are you doing to strengthen your inside protect it and strengthen it and here's the purpose and we're going to close with this the purpose is it's not piety it's not perfection it's not to be better than somebody else. It's not your reputation. It's not religious success. It's not to be a pro-Christian. The purpose is a life well-lived, a faith well-lived, a hope well-lived, a hope expressed, a responsive life to the lordship of Jesus, saying yes to when he leads us and guides us so that we can respond to Peter's call in 1 Peter chapter 2. Live such good lives in your world so when people look at you and come to meet you, they will turn and see your life and turn and glorify God. There will be something that matters there. And we need to understand that this is possible in the middle of any culture. It's not just possible in the first century. That was really hard, the culture that Peter was talking to. It's not just possible in Central Asia. It's possible in Montreal. And there's all kinds of things that wage against our soul here in our city. But we can protect what God is doing in us, we can strengthen our interior and we can move towards trusting him to empower us to live this life. Let's stand as we pray. God, we... We don't want to rush this just this last moment. help us to be reflective even right now help us to identify in this last moment or two god identify what just the beauty and goodness you're you're working in us you're doing in us the new life and new hope and new faith and new identity that is also ours not just the readers of first peter but it's ours Help us to see that. We long to see this transformed life be expressed. God, not for our glory or benefit, not for any rewards, but as a natural overflow of the newness that comes with following Jesus and then ultimately for your glory and to be a witness that points to you and your life available for everyone and God, as we, we pause right now. We, God, help us recognize what wages against our soul. Maybe right now there's many of us here who are just coming to mind one, two, three things that wage against your soul, that you know have stopped you from following God's voice, that have sabotaged something in the past. That you know you needed to move towards, but that sabotaged. Maybe you know the things that trigger this. And all of your strength inside you today says, Lord, give me strength and grace to abstain, to walk away, because there's something better and more beautiful. God, help us to recognize whatever categories these sinful desires fall under in our particular life. And whatever that means right now, currently in our life, in my life, God, give us your grace to see it, to recognize it. Help us to follow these words, to abstain. Because we know, we admit they wage war against our soul. And we long to walk with you, walk freely and fully with you. Help us to discern. And God, daily, as we spend time with you, as we seek the scriptures, as we take moments of silence, as we, we take time to reflect on, on our days, may we be slow enough to recognize what you're doing in us, but also the ways that we have possibly um, been an obstacle to that. And help us to surrender these things to you. And trusting that by your grace and love and mercy, Lord, you will keep growing us forward. Because God, we we long to live out this life in Jesus, reflecting your kingdom around us. God, we pray this in Christ's name, amen.